0: Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargman. A few years ago, I wrote and performed a solo show called The Edge of Every Day, which was an exploration of the rough edges and contradictions we all face and grapple with. The show hit a nerve, and the relevance of the topic would only grow over time more than I could have foreseen. So, here we are. Real Talk with Real People. Sharing stories and perspectives that spark provocative invitations to leap out of what's safe on the edge of every day. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We are live in the hive. Thank you for joining me on this, the 41st episode of The Edge of Every Day here on talkradio.nyc. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, And for those of you who don't know me yet, I encourage you to check out my bio on talkradio.nyc or, of course, you can visit my website, sandrabargeman.com. And please tune in to any of my previous episodes with my inspiring guests. As all my loyal listeners know, this show is about celebrating triumphs, pushing boundaries, and exploring rough edges. Through conversations and shared stories with friends and colleagues, it's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we are fearful, those places where we are resistant to change, those places where paradoxes and contradictions live in our beliefs and in our understandings, both about ourselves and about the world around us, those places where we don't want to look. Listen, we live in turbulent times and we are coming to understand that life simply isn't black or white. It must be an embrace of both. And the more we look within, recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that I fully believe can help to change the world. So thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, it is time for me to introduce our guest this evening. Reverend Dr. Tara Curry Avery, affectionately known as Rev. Dr. TLC, is a licensed psychologist, ordained minister, coach, retreat leader, TEDx speaker, author, and podcast host. She is the creator of Pastology, the cutting edge field that focuses on the synergy between pastoring and psychology. She holds a PhD from Hofstra University and a Master's of Divinity from Yale University. Rev. Dr. TLC invites people into transformation through the journey of sacred intelligence tapping into one's internal source in order to make intelligent choices that manifest the good of humanity. She helps leaders discover how their sphere of influence can change the status quo and dismantle racism. She is the author of Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out, and Sacred Intelligence, the Essence of Sacred, Selfish, and shared relationships. She is the host of Dismantle Racism on talkradio.nyc. Rev. Dr. TLC is the pastor of Martin Luther King Jr. Community Presbyterian Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. Hello and a warm welcome, Reverend Dr. TLC. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me well thank you so much for coming on it is such a pleasure to have you it's been as i was saying in our pre-chat it's just been such a joy to do my research on you and to listen in and to read about you and learn from you and begin to desire to purchase all of your books etc (laughs) etc thank you yes totally so um i'd like to start off with how i know my guests, and I don't know Terlyn personally, but um, but I've known of your podcast and I've, you know, just really been eager to listen in and have enjoyed what I've listened to thus far. So Tara Lynn do you like to be called Rev Doctor TLC? Let's go with that. That's what you go by on your podcast. I'm going to go with that rather than Terlin. So, How did you come to, she's got her podcast, as I mentioned, Dismantle Racism here on talkradio.nyc. So how did you come, how did you find Sam and how did you come to talkradio.nyc and podcasting in general? I mean, I can so understand it. As a natural fit for you given your background in education and your pastoring and your speaking it of course makes sense to me that it's a complete natural fit but then again it would make sense for me as an actor as a natural fit and an interfaith minister but it wasn't for me Mm. so
1: so speak
2: to how you came to this and what was the start I know Sam from an organization that we belong to. And what's really interesting, Sam had asked me about a radio show probably about a year or so before I ever considered. And at the time I was really focusing on the wounds of religion and I have all of my work is around sacred intelligence, whether it's manifesting your greatness, it's all under the umbrella of sacred intelligence. and. I didn't feel like i had something that i was ready yet to do a a radio show on uh i had done public access tv before and that was around sacred intelligence and i know people loved it you know i ran into people on the street who would say oh i love listening to your show but i stopped for a bit of doing media and there's so many other things that we do you know and and so I was focused on really looking at the wounds of religion. And when George Floyd was murdered,
1: mm.
2: I returned to doing work on dismantling racism. I had done it for years and sort of put it aside in terms of the formality of it. I'm always engaged in racial equity work. Yes, you, you are. Never put it down, but in terms of just the training. So once I really started you know getting back out there and talking about it more sam said you know have you thought about doing a radio show about it and that way you can broaden your message yeah so i think racial equity is really important so i started the show probably actually it's been over a year ago over wow a ago.
0: so you started just before i did just i started before you did october yeah cuz mm-hmm. of course i've heard about yours since i started Oh, That's so fascinating. Well, and it's just, you, you have a fantastic show and an, an amazing presence. And yes, you do weave in of naturally, and of course you do, all of these other understandings and this tapestry of all the work that you do, your educate, your background in education, all the different hats that you've worn and pulled together to form this incredible tapestry. so this is a great segue into the question that that i want to next ask you is you know so many of my guests like you like me have had these very rich and seemingly varied careers Mm -hmm. and twists and turns and they continue to synthesize the work in really unique ways and synthesize the identities and it's just, and it all comes together into this one track this one vision but and it speaks so much about exploring rough edges mm-hmm. and pushing expanding our boundaries but those identities those are those are all interesting things so this was a question that was asked of me recently And I was so fascinated by it. I want to ask you, what identity or identities do you lead with
1: in Hmm. your day-to-day life? Hmm.
2: Well, first and foremost, I lead with uh, being a soul being and being called to a higher purpose. Amen. That I understand that I don't exist in this world, just me. That we're all connected. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I lead from that place of having grown up all my life with the understanding of God in my life and uh, how God calls us. Yes. And that we each have a purpose and it may be different, but God calls us. And even if it's in the same area, is something different. So I lead with that because that's the family that I grew up mm, in.
0: OK, uh,
2: we were. Uh, not fundamentalist by any stretch of the imagination. And we didn't define ourselves as born again folks uh, in the sense of born again Christians. But we, I grew up Presbyterian Mm. in a predominantly African-American community. It was Mm. very tight knit in the South. Church was a critical part of my upbringing. Mm. So when I do this work, whatever work that I do, It begins from this place of knowing that I am a part of a bigger universe and that I am created from uh, divineness, which is what I talk about with sacred intelligence. So I start all of my work from that place. And then secondly, I would say, growing up as an African-American, I saw the disparities that existed And I also grew up knowing how rich my heritage is. Mm. And I love who I am as as a person presenting as a black woman in this world. I love that. And I always seek to have justice in the world and equity in the world. Mm. So for me, I love that you talked about all my different hats that I wear because everything that I've ever done, there's always been this lens of race. So that even when I'm looking at things like education and I'm teaching my classes, I can be at at the college where I would teach, and I'm teaching a group of white kids, but I was always going to infuse race in there of course. to help students who had never even gone to school with a black person right to understand how race shows up. Mm. So I've, in everything I've done, I've just infused it in there because I think it's important so that we can understand one another.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, and there's so much I want to dive into here. It sounds like you had such a uh, a healthy relationship to spirit as mm-hmm. a child, as I did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while my parents, I was also raised Presbyterian, my parents, we did not have a big church life. We were very involved and I had a time in the church, but it was through the music and the ritual that I was very attracted to it. Um, it doesn't sound like you're, we have a minute to break. It doesn't, so let's just begin the, the well, actually, you know what, I'm going to say, Dylan, let's take us to break, please, because the question that I've got, I can't, I can't i can't ask reverend dr tlc to do one minute on it it's too big so we're going to just go right into break when we come back with dr reverend dr tlc we're going to dive into dismantling racism and did did you have any kind of woundedness which is in your religious upbringing which is another portion of your the work that you do in the world when we come back on the edge of every day stay tuned
3: are you a business owner do you want to be a business owner do you work with business owners hi i'm stephen fry your small and medium-sized business or smb guy and i'm the host of the new show always friday while i love to have fun on my show we take those friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of smbs today Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc.
1: Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?
0: On the Edge of Every Day with Reverend Dr. TLC. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on the woundedness, and we're going to get into that when we speak more about sacred, your sacred intelligence, which, and I love that phrase. Um, so the intersectionality of your work, um, which I, I, again, just incredible to read about and all of the offerings that you do around this. You know, what what I came away with was that as I'm always reminded of now that it's on in a huge way on my radar, um that racism isn't a a, a black and brown person problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's been the biggest thing or an asian problem or a marginalized communities problem. It's, you know, it's the it, it, it's the oppressors' problem. It is they need to be doing the work, in addition to everyone else. This is not to say that everyone else isn't to do their work, but 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 it comes it comes back to sacred intelligence and this understanding all the ills of the world being this separation within from spirit mm-hmm. and the common unity, the community of humanity. Can you speak to that? And when you started to move into very clearly wanting to speak overtly about
2: dismantling racism? Mm, That's a great question. So I do believe that racism is a spiritual disease because we've disconnected from Mm. our greater selves. We're in this place where we're self-absorbed and it's about ego and it's about othering folks as opposed to loving folks and seeing the manifestation of the divine in everybody however you define the divine what i also think that we miss in this whole conversation uh particularly when i think about uh white folks who will say well it's not i don't experience racism (laughs) i'm not a racist right i think that people fail to understand how racism, one, it impacts us all, whether it's positive or negative, it impacts Mm -hmm. us all, right? But there's a cost. There's a financial cost to white people if you really look at economics of racism. Mm -hmm. If you look at the housing market, who gets to own a house and who doesn't and how that impacts the economy. There are people much more fluent than I am who talk about this, but look at it that way. totally. And look at it in businesses. Exactly. The most diverse are the ones that are
0: most productive. Exactly. All of my business leaders I have on say exactly that.
2: Yes, because you're missing out on so much talent. And when people say, oh, I can't find anybody of color to be in this position. Well, where are you looking is the question, right? So it impacts us from that perspective. It impacts us when we think about um, even just from a mental health place, an emotional place of what white people experience when they're not connected, when they want to have a conversation, for instance, about race, but they're mm. too afraid yeah. and they live in that place of fear or worse yet, shame, yes, guilt. Oh, I I, I have to interject
0: here. I I must. The shame and the guilt. Around 2013, 14, 15, I was really noticing that the increase, because it was coming on our radar, the increase, uh, that me as a white person's radar, thank you very much, of the increase what appeared to be, but it was just because it was in the news more, of police brutality. And I was noticing it in the news all over my Facebook, all of my whole entire social media and people getting into rages and uh, and fighting about this and and the white people getting taking offense at all of it, which I was it it was exploded my mind for so many reasons about what bubble I lived in what New York City bubble I lived in, what white person's bubble I lived in, et, et cetera. But I, I was shocked at the taking of offense and, and hearing you say the shame and the guilt and the connection of that with mm. shame and guilt and mm. resistance to learning about all of this and admitting white privilege. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so all of that, right? And yeah. that cost. That really is the cost. The <laughs> other thing that I hear white people say all the time, I just had a conversation with another white woman about this earlier today, who was really annoyed with another white woman for saying this, that like, I just can't do this work because it's too overwhelming and it's draining. And she said, it just makes me so mad because think about what people of color privilege. Are we. Yeah. We live it. Yes, you
0: get to walk away from it, white person. But
2: but I think that even with that walking away, because once you've been awakened, when you walk away, it's still going to eat at you to close it off. We can't wait for another George Floyd, because like you said, in 2013, 14, 15, actually in 2008, 2009, when President Obama came in, there were, it It started then, I mean, of course it did, it had to go all the way back, look at Trayvon Martin and all of that, and so here's the thing, it was happening, uh, and then right. all of a sudden, when George Floyd was murdered, people are like, oh my gosh, but I think people paid more attention to it for two reasons, one, because we were in the midst of COVID, and, and we needed something else, really, from a psychological place, something else, to focus our attention on right and people wanted to get out yeah but the second thing is it was so heinous yeah and people couldn't justify it see i have i have had white people say to me well why didn't the police when the police shoot someone um at a stop well why didn't they just do what the police told them to do oh my uh, i'm like are you kidding but we can watch that we can watch that on video now they did do Right. Every single thing that they were asked right Well, one woman said it to me when the man was walking like this and got shot in the back I said, did you see them shoot him in the back? So this is it, it, this is what I'm talking about about waking up and deciding that you're going to live on the edge because yes. this is hard work but it's necessary work if we are going to heal our own souls, And if we're going to heal this world, we have to be willing to go to the edge. Indeed. And sometimes we might have to step over the edge just a little bit.
0: Just go right over. Just fall right over and expect that the wisdom and the knowledge and Mm -hmm. the growth will meet us. Yes. And the mentoring and the expansion will
2: meet us. Mm. You know, can I just say one other quick thing? Mm. So when George Floyd was murdered, I saw a lot of white people in turmoil, angry, Mm. crying, couldn't believe that this was happening. Mm. Whereas, and they would come to me and say, oh my gosh, if I'm feeling this way, you must be feeling blah, blah, blah. I said, I didn't just wake up black today. I've always known this. None of this surprises me. But was I saddened by it, of course. But here's what I want to say. If people come to the edge and they do this work every day, then when something like George Floyd happens again, Mm -hmm. the emotions that one experience are very different. The intensity Mm -hmm. is different. And you're not reactive you simply go into responding so for those people who saw what happened to george floyd and i never watched the video by the way but for the people who saw it and they kept watching it over and over and over again they would be so intense that they worked so hard that they got burned out what i ask people to do in this work on dismantling racism is be consistent and steady in your commitment so that when something happens, you know how to move within the flow of that you've already prepared yourself psychologically and emotionally, and you have your community of support right. that's in danger
0: well, totally. I think you know, and I to some extent, I would put myself in this category it's it's for those and I'll speak as I'm a part of that bubble for those of us that were in that bubble that knew of that were not completely unaware to all of these things but did not for whatever reason did not understand the extent of it i think the all of the things that y- you already knew the people waking up to it and then uh george floyd i mean it really i did also see a lot of of white people go rageful and i think it was necessary mm. Mm. But those of us who were in the bubble, mm. like the childish rageful reaction, because th- it is a lot of overwhelm, and It is a lot of how have I, contr- how have I been unaware of this? How have I contributed to this? So all of those questions exploding within to, you know, and that's what I want my listeners t- to understand is to to get to get with those contradictions to get to explore that edge and to stay present to that awkwardness and be willing to ask seemingly stupid questions and mm-hmm. seemingly obvious questions and to to understand that you know y- you are going to You are going to make mistakes, but to listen, to stop Mm. and to listen to the people of color. Mm. Learn, listen, learn, Mm. really lean into this in a way that you've never done before.
1: Mm.
2: You know, I just want to say, I I totally agree with you there. There is a place for anger. And actually I began my book by talking Mm. about that anger because there's effective and righteous anger. Right. So, yes, I totally agree with and how to channel that. Yes. So that's that's my point in this, that if we engage in this work on a consistent basis, we'll know how to challenge that uh, uh, channel that anger. But I also know and we can look at the research now that if we don't wake up and if we don't do the work, when something else happens we go back into this intense way of doing things and then we burn out so what Mm -hmm. we see when we look at the research is that there was this really big charge that people wanted to talk about race and now it's dipped
0: interesting and now everyone just went oh my god i'm exhausted and yeah and and because you're allowed to be exhausted Mm um Mm -hmm. oh my goodness I just, I'm going to have to have you back. That's very clear. Um, I have so, so much that I want to ask, but we've got to go to a break. And I want to come back after our glorious break where you, the listener, get to hear about all of the fantastic shows that we have here on talkradio.nyc. When we come back, we're going to learn about sacred intelligence and hear about continue to explore sacred intelligence looking within and how that we, it can continue to inform how all of us work towards dismantling racism mm-hmm. we come back with reverend dr tlc on the edge of every day stay tuned
2: are you passionate about the conversation around racism
0: are back with reverend dr tlc so tell us about this wonderful phrase sacred intelligence
2: well sacred intelligence actually comes from uh merging my two loves and that <laughs> is, you know my my love for god and my love for psychology because i've always asked A million questions and I ended up becoming a psychologist. And it's interesting because uh I was raised in a family where I could ask a million and one questions about the Bible, and my family always tried to entertain and they couldn't answer them, but at least they would try to entertain. Stay present to you. I love that. Exactly, exactly. So so this term sacred intelligence came from really good friend understanding my mission what I was trying to explain to her. And when I was doing a lot of therapy, that's the name I had for my practice. Because for me, sacred intelligence is about really understanding two things, that we're loved unconditionally Mm. and we're divinely created. And within that, there's a going inward where we tap into the greatest part of ourselves where we can make choices that are intelligent. Yes. And those choices are designed to manifest my greatness while at the same time, I'm helping you and other people manifest their greatness. It's not about solely saying, Oh, it's the choice that's best with me. Cause that's very egocentric
0: unhealthy ego, but it's
2: really about saying, let's go inside. So in my first book on sacred intelligence, I talked about the importance of developing that sacred relationship, connecting with something much higher than yourself, mm-hmm. whatever that is for you. And then there's a selfish part, which is the reflection, the self reflection, setting boundaries, learning how to say no, getting rid of unhealthy relationships, cleaning out your own psychological stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the third piece, is the shared relationship those relationships we that we have with other people and how to create healthy ones with other people how to help them again to manifest their greatness so how does that relate then to sacred i mean to dismantling racism because that's my model sacred selfish and shared the three pillars that i talk about in my book is what's your sacred motive for doing this work Mm. And then how do you have to uh, engage or shift your selfish mindset in terms of whether you believe that it's possible to dismantle racism? Because it starts with a belief. Yes. And Then what's the shared movement? Now, how do you take who you are and go out into the world? and help the world to become a better place. So it's still all about the sacred, selfish, and shared. So in my book, I talk about the sacred intelligence journey of faith. Hmm. And I say faith because I believe that we have to have faith that it is possible to do this. And we have to have faith in our fellow human
0: beings. Because why else would we incarnate? Exactly. Exactly.
2: We're exactly. here to serve and, and and do this work. Exactly. Signed up for this party. I, you know, it's, it, we, it's certainly, we did. And that's one of the things <laughs> I say in the book. I'm like, you're in the right place at the right time. You're the right body, the right socioeconomic sense, all of it. You chose to be here. Not everybody can handle that. Uh, that's uh, understood. So, so I try to be careful which settings I'm saying it in, but, but we're here. We're here because mm. there's, for us to do. And no matter how small, do you know that during the civil rights movement, there were people who made sandwiches for people who were marching or people who were photocopying because it was, oh, yeah, photocopy. We, ha- we didn't have social media to right. get everyone right. organized. Exactly. So there were people who, who were doing whatever they could do to help the movement. There are people from my show who will. Do things for me. Sometimes I'll have people when I have an event coming up, they'll say, oh, it's no charge to do it. That's their way mm-hmm. of helping in the movement. Yes. So what I want people to understand, the consciousness around racial equity isn't about you being out in the street marching every day or every second of your mouth saying, oh, what about race? What about race? What about race? It's a lived experience for mm. your conscious about how inequities show up so that you're always asking the question in your circle, who's missing? Yes. Who's missing in this conversation? Who's missing in my all-white neighborhood? Why is it all white? Yeah. You know, so that's what it's really about. And I it's what I want people to understand because folks will say, oh, it's too heavy. I can't deal with that every day or I don't know enough. All I want people to do is raise their awareness and when you know better, you do better.
0: Indeed. And awareness, how do people continue to raise their awareness? They listen to your podcast. They read your book. They take some of your, your, your offerings, your workshops and things. So how do you work with leaders and Mm -hmm. how do you and specifically how do you work with white leaders and white people and Mm -hmm. begin to expand their understanding their racial consciousness i love that phrase Mm -hmm. racial consciousness and 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 how do you respond to the phrase i don't see color how are these you know all of these i know i know
2: i know you're asking me like five questions (laughs) that that would take (laughs) ten minutes this is right exactly this is why you have to come back Yes, too much. So first and foremost, uh, let's see. Let's see. I'll tackle this one first. Mm. It's Absolutely not true that you don't see color. Of course. How could you not see that I'm a black woman? Mm -hmm. So to say that you don't see color is not true. What people actually mean is that um, I am not treating you differently based on your color. Or at least they don't think they are. They don't think as we they have are. our spies. So there's a lot that I could talk about in there, but really, to tell me that you don't see color denies who I am.
1: Of course, that
2: you, you know, that you think that I need to just blend in into what is the the standard
1: mm-hmm.
2: that's really been uh, based on whiteness, mm-hmm. right? And and when you say I don't see color, it's not really about honoring me and my differences. And so it's not I spirit that, filled. It's not. And so I hope your listeners will take that out of their vocabulary. Indeed. That I because then you don't want to even know about me. Yeah. And that's why when I show up, if I speak differently or if I dress differently or wear my hair differently, you won't take the time to understand that some things are cultural yeah. and I'm honoring my culture by doing that, or if, for instance, You won't know that when I walk into a room and I see um, a black person that I know, and maybe sometimes someone that I don't know. My tendency—I don't care if it's if it's professional or not—we hug because that's a part of culture. But if the expectation is I don't see color, you might expect me to, you know, come in and I don't know, be a bit more reserved or something like that. Even though I have to say, most of my friends. White friends, I, whoever is my friend, they know we're hugging and they're <laughs> hugging too, so it doesn't matter. You got but the memo. I'm just, saying, I'm just using that as an example. Yes, of course. But how do I work with folks? So uh, there's several ways I do one-on-one coaching with people, try to work with them through whatever their fears, whatever their... Uh, unconsciousness is around race and try to help people to see how is that showing up in your company, even with the best of intentions, how is it showing up? Um, What I do in my groups, I actually go through, like I have a six week course where we take a look at what's the cost of racism, uh, how to get over your fear of getting it right. Because that's really, really a big I would thing. think that that's a, 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 at the top of the list. I oh, mean, my goodness. It really is. It, it really is. Because people are so afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing. And guess what? You are. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, and but you, but you have been forever.
0: Exactly. It, thank you. Yeah. Thank I, I, you. And so, you know, here's the deal. You've just come out of the closet and said, I want to change this. And so while I stumble through and learn, Mm. you're going to
2: hold me. Yeah. But it goes back though to, yes, yes, you have been saying the wrong thing. And then people have just been silent about it. But now that you've become awakened to it, the embarrassment factor. Yes, exactly. The the mirror. And so what I want to just say is you've got to move beyond the shame. So, in the programs that I have, I try to create that safe space where people can ask questions, and sometimes we laugh together. I would hope so. I, I try. I, I mean, I love laughing, and I'll and I'll say, you know, that was a silly question or something like that. But it's because I set the stage for that where people can feel if it's safe. And we don't say yes, and we don't judge each other, mm. and whatever we say in the confines of that group is in, in that group. And, you know, like in, in in October, at the end of October, I'm doing like a two day retreat. That's a full immersion of taking a look at my book, but going into, let's do the inner work. What does it take for you to do this work? So it moves beyond just do A, B, C, and D, because often white people will say to me, can you just tell me what to do? no, I can't. I have a, I have a class that I teach, do this, not that. And so we break down, what does that mean? Some things you just have to learn.
0: Oh, my goodness. Oh, so much in there. So, 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 so much in there. Well, we are a minute to break. So I'm just going to move forward into the break. Um, and when we come back, I want to speak with you about something that maybe you'll comment on. That I think um, dismantling racism is is the number is our number one thing that we as Americans, we as humans, of course, must handle. But here in the United States, thinking about democracy, I think. Racism is inextricably linked to democracy mm. because you cannot have a democracy without an attention to diversity and attention to equity, attention to equality. You cannot have it. And we are here at the edge of that, of that understanding that there is no turning back from it. The, 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 everyone is too awakened to this now. And we are at the crossroads where we must begin to make do this hard work in a bigger way and really begin to heal it and choose democracy and choose equality and equity and freedom for all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or we can step away from it and dig in are heels in and choose authoritarianism and white supremacy Mm -hmm. and, and the continuance of, of what's already been happening. Mm -hmm. So when we come back with Reverend Dr. TLC, we will get a comment on that perhaps, but we will also move into what is, what's next? What's on your next leading edge? and we are back on the edge of every day with Reverend Dr TLC. So is there do you have a comment for how I ended out our last bit? I mean, is there really a comment for that? It's so it's so overwhelmingly obvious to me.
2: I do have a comment and I and and it's yes, I agree with you. Mm. And I think that what happens is people don't see the ways in which racial equity is tied into a democracy or lack thereof. And I will take abortion rights as a prime example, because I had a guest on my show who actually talked about how abortion rights were rooted in racism and it came out of during the 60s when integration began to happen the 50s and 60s when integration began to happen white people took their kids out of school and they wanted to put them in in private schools and um or different school and so they couldn't get federal funding if it was about integration and and all of that but if they talked about abortion and it being a religious thing religious freedom and all of that they could then get money so that's how white people were able to segregate themselves also i believe and i'm not real clear about this one but i heard a story on another uh radio show around Uh, the the Roe v. Wade and the particular organization that's still uh, engaged in helping women get abortions down in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. It was an area that was highly uh, populated by people of color and Black Mm -hmm. people, right? So when we talk about these issues, we think that they don't matter, but look at how they take, you take away from one group eventually it hits yeah. us all. Oh, because totally. Regardless of what your personal beliefs are about abortion, look at how many people are impacted by that. Oh, completely. And look at how many women of color are going to be impacted. Low-income Indeed. who are going to be impacted by this. You better right? believe it. It's and all it, about power. It, a Power and control, for sure. And so when we say that we don't have to stand up, when you don't stand up for one group, it's going to hit home eventually because it, it, we're all
0: connected and the power is all connected.
2: That's right. That's right.
0: Ooh. Remember that, listeners, when you go to the voting booths. So switching gears. Um, you know, it's funny. You brought up something we laugh a lot in our uh, in our in our workshops, and I loved that you said that. And when when I was asked the question about what identities I put forward, of course, spiritual leader was the first, but just right up there with it was comedian. Yeah, and the sacred power of humor
1: mm-hmm. of
0: getting us out of our own way. Mm-hmm. And disarming us. Yeah.
1: Yes.
2: It's so important because I think, look, and I can't speak for all white people. I can only speak to about the white people who I talk to. I understand how scary this is. And I understand that people wonder, am I judging them in the moment? And that's why I have to create the space to say, This isn't about what I'm thinking. What is it that you think about yourself? And let's move to that, right? You know, I am very fortunate at this point in the work that I do. Folks are self-selected to come to me. (laughs) Years ago, (laughs) when I used to do this work, people were there because they had to to be there. And they would sit there like this the whole time. And it was so, so draining. It was draining for me. People had no idea as a facilitator how emotionally draining this is for people of color. And when I'm working with people now because it's self-selected, they know that I can be direct with them because I am also very direct, but I could be direct, but they know it's gonna be all from a place of love. And I will say, I'm gonna challenge you a little bit to, to go deeper with this right? That's the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's real. And that's, you know,
0: why we need to do this work. We have to move past. Yes, Mm -hmm. it's a challenge.
2: Mm -hmm. And yes, move forward. That's right. But you know what? I also give people um, tools
1: to help regulate
2: themselves as well. Because that's the whole psychology part of it too, right? I don't just take you to the edge and hold you off the the edge. edge. Like, like, like here's yeah. tools to deal with it, but sometimes you just gotta be uncomfortable and just live in the discomfort. You've got to live in it. But that holy
0: <laughs> discomfort that is polishing you.
2: Yes. Oh, yes, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed it is. So we we just I think have we have an open space and an open heart where we're there to learn and everybody just kind of connects with one another
0: amen 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 and you know i want to take one of your courses too, btw um Mm -hmm. but we'll talk about that later um so what's next for you what's what's your leading edge um um, it, do you have something that's brewing a new thing? I mean, you just came out with dismantle racism. Maybe, mm. uh, you know, maybe you're still in the, and podcasting, as we were yeah. talking about is, is no tiny bit of work. Um, so, so maybe, maybe you don't have, you know, you're focusing on, on putting that forward and, and doing your work on your podcast, but do you, is there some
2: project that's coming down the pike for you? Well. uh So I will be doing this for a bit Um, and and so I'm doing a lot of trainings around dismantling racism but I know we're at almost at the close of the show but one thing that I'm actually working on is the rebuild of my church which was burned as a result of hate crime so of course I say that at the last minute I as a psychologist you never do that but (laughs) but so I'm working on the rebuilds of that and this shows people like look this is real stuff i'm not making up racism my church was burned out as a result wow. right so this is why it's important to do this work oh
0: my goodness
2: you know? uh amen yes. so how do people find you how do people uh, they, find your books they can find me at uh sacredintelligence.com there's a link there for the book as well there's a link there for all of the work that I do, you can contact me through the website if you want to work personally with me, if you want to have me to come into your organization, um, but just do the work, find somebody to do this work with.
0: Mm, 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 mm. Oh, my goodness. So, and before, before, well, no, I'm going to thank you first. I'm going to just say, my goodness gracious, thank you so much for coming on the show thank you for sharing your wisdom your knowledge your sacred space your full heart and your beauty with me and with our listeners it has been such a joy to have you on
2: Mm, thank you so much Sandra. thank you
0: Mm. to our listeners thank you so much for engaging in this listening in going out and doing the work going out and 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 follow up and look and read these books and, and go over her website and, and move more deeply into this work and look more deeply within and be willing to challenge yourself. So, before we, we say goodbye, Rev Dr. TLC, what is the a last nugget that you can leave us with?
2: I want to remind people that each of us has the power to change the status quo. And that the power of one contributes to the power of community. Amen. Remember, you are always at the edge
0: of the miraculous. Till we see each other next week, take good care.